Abbey Dental, sponsors of Women Today, for all aspects of today's dental care. Highly recommended throughout the Isle of Man. But first, music. This is wonderful. We have Russian-born Steinway, Steinway artist Yulia Chaplina with us. She gave her first performance, age seven, performing with the Rostov State Symphony Orchestra. I'm just going to say again, at the age of seven. <laughs> and she won her first major competition in Poland, age nine, and has gone on to win many more piano competitions across the world. Yulia performs regularly with uh, many of the world's, in many of the world's finest venues from London to Tokyo. And today she's here on the Isle of Man. But let's hear her playing first. We need to introduce her by hearing this extraordinary award-winning talent. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous, I have to oh, say. Thank you My so much. Word. Hello. And Hello, Lilia. Yes, Welcome yes, yes. to the you. Isle of Man. Thank you so much. It's the first time I'm here and I'm delighted thank- to be here. So. And thank goodness you made it. Yes, yeah, true. It's true. It's, um, you know... It's part of part of life, part of the job. But <laughs> because uh, your flight was originally cancelled, yes, wasn't yes, it? Yes, all sorts of things happen, but uh, it's good I'm here, and I always like to be a little bit ahead of schedule coming to concerts, just because you don't want the organi- organizers be worried whether you're coming on the day. I think it's a bit unreasonable, so I always plan a couple of days in advance. Yeah. And that clip that we heard, I believe, was Rachmaninoff, wasn't it? And you're 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 a great fan of Rachmaninoff. Yes, yes, I am. Well, uh, that was indeed. Actually, a live recording from the third round of the Tchaikovsky competition, which I won at the age of 16. And that opened for me the doors onto really world's best stages. And it was quite an experience. And also what you get after it at quite a young age really proves sort of whether you are able to to do it or not. Um, Because it's... You're young and you're still studying and suddenly these sort of concerts and appearances. Uh, but I'm enjoying it. Um, it's it's lovely. And Rachmaninoff is, of course, one of my favorite composers, really. However, I, I love many and I, I, I can't really choose. It's almost like pick your children and choose whom you love more. <laughs> it's almost impossible to, 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 to answer that question. Yeah. They were both doctors. My mother was a dentist as well. And what was the family name? Horowitz. It will be remembered in the Isle of Man because uh, we came to the Isle of Man in 1938. Mm-hmm. So you're in Austria um, at the clinic and then things suddenly changed um, when your father met somebody or somebody had a chat with your father, didn't he? Well, he, he had this big clinic and um, one of his patients, Mr. Carlton Brunner, yeah. said, it's not healthy for you here. And my father escaped through Switzerland. But your mother didn't leave with your father, did no, she? No, we, we no. Were, we were still in the clinic. Mm-hmm. And then we were turfed out of the clinic and went to a, 
a family in the village for a short time and then went to a family in Vienna who was the family that came here later and um, then we came over to England. And so you moved with a, into a family? Well, my father would have been interned, you know. Yes. So yes. he went, he was about to be. Nobody ever told me anything. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing. No. My brother did, because he was 11. Mm -hmm. But he, nothing was ever discussed. No. So it was only later that you found out who Ernst Kaltenbrunner was? Well, I never knew who he was at all. No. It was much later. Just, just for the record, Ernst Kaltenbrunner um, ended up as the, the head of, of the Nazi party in Austria. Kaltenbrunner knew Hitler quite well, and he effectively became um, the head of the SS because he was a, quite a, I say, a forceful individual. I mean, he was six foot four, and he had a violent temper. And what he did is, is now a matter of history. He, so, did, he, he did rescue one family. He did rescue one family. <laughs> one, one has to wonder why. And it, well, it, it was his doctor. Yes. People do those sort of things to their, for their doctors. Mm -hmm. They just do. Nation Station, Manx Radio. It's very shocking the prices that people put on these experiences that I believe every child should have the opportunity to have. Um, in my experience, you know, uh, children also are completely oblivious to the value of money. And I think that there are ways to kind of put things in place that kind of alleviate your stress. One of the ways that I deal with my children is by actually giving them money themselves. And so when they say, mommy, can we go ice skating? I say, yes, if you can afford it. And then, you know, you put the onus on them and they also are aware of the amount that it, that these excursions cost. Um, I also think it um, encourages you to be more creative as a parent as well. Um, as I said, having four children, you know, four times 15 quid is just ridiculous sometimes. And so I love to cook. We love to, you know, go on walks and be out in nature and do the things that I used to do when I was younger, to be honest. And um, we live in a very tech heavy world. And so, you, you know, and also social media doesn't help people consistently posting up things and oh, I've done this fun thing. And then you're like, yeah, it's like a hundred quid, um, you know, and it all adds up. And I think that if we change the culture, um, we can definitely change how it affects us, particularly financially. And um, yeah, and I think that there are things that we can do. And I'm definitely an advocate of not, um, not, not encouraging people to spend loads of money. I think it's very important to be aware that the time that you spend with your children and the quality of the time that you spend with your children is so important and will be held with them for the rest of their lives. Um, you know, I've, me and my daughter this week, we, we made a bag out of some scraps of material and she's she loves this bag and she carries it everywhere with her and it's like yeah you know we did that and it's a memory that she won't let go my name is rosemary christian but i'm known everywhere as rosie and uh, rosie we are in well your home and your work where are we the world-famous Sulby Glen Hotel, right on the side of the TT course. <laughs> and you are celebrating a pretty significant anniversary this year. Well, my birthday is the 21st of February, 
and I started work in Ramsey in the Central Hotel on my 18th birthday. So I've now done 50 years behind the bar. And what is it that has kept you in this business? I love it. I love meeting people. I like the company, the fact that a pub is the hub of the community. People come in and tell you their problems, which you don't always want, but most of the time it's just so easy to work. So how long have you been here at the Sulby then? 1987. You're asking me questions now. Um, <laughs> let me work this out. 32 years. And was this always somewhere that you thought, you know, I could, I, you could see yourself behind the bar here? What was it that brought you here? I moved from Ramsey to Sulby and being a young mother with children obviously I needed some extra money so I carried on working behind the bar and once moving to Sulby I used to work at the Ginger, the Thalty Well, the Mill and here. I actually only came here because the landlady's husband had passed away and I came to help her out but I never left. (laughs) (laughs) I mean and you described it as world famous it really is. I mean I think it's fair to say you've got a bit of a a TT connection as well. Just a slight one. (laughs) At one time we had six continental bike clubs that used the Sulby Glen as their base when they were over on the island. Not just for TT but for the rest of the year too they'd come at Christmas, Easter, summer holidays. I used to take their children in during the summer so that they could learn English. Not sure they'd learnt the best English from me, but <laughs> they came here to, on an exchange and I looked after them for the summer. The six clubs, we still keep in touch now. I mean, these guys we've known since 1969. So. And I suppose with that sort of um, upbringing and your, your children being so associated with that, it was inevitable, really, that uh, at least one of them was going to go into the TT? Two. <laughs> Both Daniel, the youngest, and Matthew, the second youngest, have both been TT riders. Matthew has given up as he's now married with a family, but Daniel is still at it and still going to continue. And from... I suppose it's it's difficult, isn't it, because clearly you're so passionate about the TT Mm -hmm. and being part of it, but, I mean, goodness me, you must have had your ups and downs, certainly in the past year or so. Last year, I can quite honestly say, was the worst year of my life. I lost my husband at the beginning of the year and I nearly lost my son halfway through the year. Um, I'm glad to see the back of that, but he's still here to tell the tale. And I've had a, a hard year sitting at a hospital bed, literally being told that he wasn't going to survive the night. But Daniel's a fighter and... He's come back, he's recovered so quickly, he's shocked everybody. And I'm glad to see it myself, obviously. But it's a difficult thing to wear two hats. I mean, obviously I'm passionate about road racing in general, and I, I love going to Ireland, England, to watch the races, get involved in it. I love the scraps, the speeds, everything about it, provided it's another mother's son and not my son and I get a hard time from people now saying surely you're not going to let him ride again so I have to point out he's 37 not 7 I'm Emma Kenny I'm a psychologist and a broadcaster 
What a day for a daydream. Now, Emma, I have to say, I'm a little bit concerned that we're conducting this interview now because in nine minutes, apparently, I'm going to be zoning out, aren't I? This is the perfect time. You're probably just going to get me in that <laughs> little bit of time before you completely go away with the fairies. That's right. <laughs> This is because apparently 11.20 is, on average, the time Brits are going to start daydreaming. So before we before we come to that, just tell me then, what do you think, what are we classifying as daydreaming here? Well, daydreaming is kind of broken down into different facets, if I'm really honest. So daydreaming can be nostalgic. So nostalgia is where we look back to the past, we provoke something that makes us feel good or bad, usually good 70% of the time, and we kind of use it as a trigger to remind ourselves of good times. So it might be seeing a toy from the past or smelling a scent that reminds us of our grandma. It takes us back, it transports us, that elevates mood. The second side of it is hope. When we daydream, we actually feel really hopeful because we think about potential. And then on top of that, it's all about allowing ourselves the freedom to feel untethered and that's what the mind does when we feel daydreams occurring and we allow ourselves to escape to those portholes wherever they take us they allow us to just take time away from the here and now and transport ourselves to a world in our work and our brain so that is kind of a triad of reasoning behind why we feel good when we have daydreams and why it's good for us so that's the that's thing is everything you just said there is very positive so it kind of makes me think well, why do we often consider it as being a bad thing Well, I mean, one of the things that kind of obviously this research has been done by Travel Republic and that's because one of the things that's significant is that most people dream about escaping to hotter climates but there's a difference between daydreaming about let's say booking a holiday or like I do winning the lottery (laughs) and you just think about it and it makes you feel good than the other side of it which is when people maybe daydream because they want to escape permanently from something like a job they hate but they don't listen to that instinct so they kind of get stuck and don't feel happy. Now that's negative daydreaming for us there because we're not using him productively and I suppose the other side of negativity that some people might feel about daydreaming is when I saw the Travel Republic kind of statistic and it said people were daydreaming for three hours at work there was a bit of me that was like really but then I worked it out and I was thinking yeah lunch hour breaks chatting with your colleagues about holidays actually all of a sudden that daydreaming doesn't have to be monolithic it doesn't just have to be you you can daydream to some degree with other people so suddenly I'm thinking actually on a daily basis I probably daydream more you know I definitely daydream for a good hour before I go to bed I don't have any tv on or anything before I go to bed so I always just sit with my thoughts kind of do a bit of mindful practice but usually I am definitely on holiday in my head (laughs) usually after the lottery win if I'm completely honest Uh, we've also had a message in from uh, from Nick in the sweet shop in Castletown. Hi, Nick. Lovely to have you listening. He was bought a chilli plant last year, which produced loads. Obviously now dormant. It's just a stalk with a few leaves. Is there anything he can do to help it along? Yeah, you know what? A lot of people will get a chilli plant like that and they'll think it's dead, even if it has a few leaves. It It is dormant. And as soon as it starts warming up, it will start producing more leaves. A good feed, rich in nitrogen, so you can get organic feeds. Um, at the garden center that will help boost it along but only start feeding it when it starts warming up so I would say April time ish and keep it in a really sheltered place with lots of lights and it will produce a lot more chilies this year 
Now, you say lots of light. Sometimes we don't get a huge amount of light, but you have a bit of a fix for that, don't you? Yes. Well, a lot of people will try to start off seeds in a windowsill because that's obviously what most people have. But light, especially this time of the year, it isn't strong enough to really encourage the growth of young seeds and plants. And so what ends up happening is that they keep growing taller and taller and taller and bend towards your window and they become leggy. And that actually is a really bad start to their growth in the future. So it's actually much better to have them under a grow light. You can start them in a windowsill, you can leave them there. And in fact, at home, I have a clip-on grow light that goes on the windowsill. It's over my tomato and, and aubergine plants right now, just a few inches above, and it provides them with all the light that they need at this stage. I actually have a photo of my setup over on my blog, lovelygreens.com. It's on the piece on growing tomatoes from seed. So if you're interested, head over there. Brilliant. And uh, speaking of seeds, uh, we have been talking today about the Seed Swap and Plant Share event. Just remind everyone when and where this is happening. So first of all, I'd like to encourage you to go on Facebook. We have a brand new Facebook page for the Laxi and Lawn and Allotment. And if you know of anyone who's interested in a plot, perhaps yourself, go over there and get in touch with us. And also the information for the Seed Swap event is on there as an event, a Facebook event. So if you forget anything that we've just had here on the radio, it's all over there on Facebook. But the event, it's going to be on March 10th, which is a Sunday afternoon from 1 to 3 p.m. And it's at the Laxey Sailing Club on Tent Road. Come in with any spare seeds, any spare plants or nothing at all. Also, if you have anything that you think would be great as a as a raffle prize to help support the event, bring that along too. We'd be very, very happy to have that. And uh, just come along for the day. The bar will be open as well. Nation Station, Manx Radio. We have a mutual friend. Mm-hmm. And she's someone that very much affected both of our lives and many lives, not just on the Isle of Man, but around the world. Tell me when you first met Catherine Crow. Um, I met Kath. Uh, actually, um, uh, Andy had uh, put a shout out or something for her husband. Andy. Yeah, Andy uh, had put a shout out. She was doing some recording at the time, and uh, he'd put, he he was after a fiddle player. So um, I answered it and uh, just went around the house one evening and. That was it, really. And we, I think it was um, the cover of was it Nine Crimes that we did by oh, um, yes. uh, Damien Rice, and uh, I went round and did a, f- uh, a bit of recording, and that that was kind of it, really. And then there was the big the big concert that we all did with when we were rehearsing at Amber, and you know, well, no, not that Amber's anymore now, but um, just it just like the way she got everyone together and like sort of playing together and had these crazy crazy ideas of concerts and stuff and that's kind of where I got she just used to say if you build it they will come and so that's kind of the the mantra I've had with this concert that I'm organizing for the schools at the moment you know it's a it's a big undertaking but I I have 600 pupils yeah around that possibly a slightly more um (laughs) but uh but it's she she just used to instill that in you didn't she and she had that thing of she was always like right okay what's the next one what we do next and she just had these crazy ideas but was like ever positive about it all even despite what she went what she was going through at the time so and for those who don't know Catherine Crow and um, when she was doing all of this she was going through um cancer various different types of cancer in fact and sadly did eventually pass away but what an impact she had on all of the lives 
that yeah. she that she touched. Yeah, what well, I, I mean, it's not a day that goes by where I don't think about her really, and I just think like that we're all so lucky to kind of to be here. And then she she didn't let any of that what she was going through. She didn't let any of it stop her. She just kind of carried on, and that was like that was her so and it was so perfect that she did record this particular piece of music uh, because the the message behind it is just Catherine to a T isn't it this yeah. is smile 